It is Monday, June 5th, and this is Markets and News Signal to Noise. Good afternoon. I'm Chip Flory and Pro Farmer Policy Analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Good afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon, Chip. All right. Here's the deal. Yesterday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, I know that you were working away on your weekend updates. I had a few things to do. I had to get out, and and even though it's drier than heck up here in northeast Iowa right now, I did have to mow the lawn, but I got it. I got back in the house in time to watch the Cubs win a baseball game. (laughs) How do you think? How do you like that? I didn't watch any baseball on the weekend, so I don't know what happened. I know we, the Nationals, keep losing again. Every time they get close to 500, they just lose about three to four in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Cubs are still like six games under 500. Five, at least five games. It's just, uh, oh boy, <laughs> it's it, you know they show they show me signs of life, and then it's just a setup for a beatdown later. So here we are. It's June. Now's when you can start losing the pennant. So <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. Okay, um, Jim, I, I feel like we got to go back to last week's. Headline story, and that is the debt ceiling, and the president signed it over the over the weekend. Uh, the debt ceiling. What else? What else have you learned about the deal since we last talked on Friday? Well, to to put it in English, rather than legislative lingo, Chip, yeah. uh, the debt limit is suspended. They didn't put a specific dollar amount, and so and uh, that gives the administration and basically Congress to flexibility. It's not like an open-ended spending spree, but it doesn't lock them in. So we will be at a, at a crunch time in uh, 2025. I think it'll be mid 2025 before that debt limit is, is reached again. That's one. Two is with all the uh, rescission of funds, the clawback of around $27 billion in unspent COVID aid, uh, uh, $1.4 billion in uh, previously, uh, you know, money previously provided to the inter- uh, uh, IRS, and then mm-hmm. $10 billion each year over two years in prior IRS funding for non-defense spending. Now, that's going to offset some of the spending cuts in a number of programs. So uh, uh, that's a chunk of change there. That That's another area. And we're going to have to see where that money goes, you know, whether it's for agriculture or not. And then the food stamp changes with the expanded work requirements, right. but yet the White House uh, got their exemptions to homeless individuals, veterans, and foster care. And that's actually going to uh, lead to more enrollments uh than 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 we have now chip so <clears throat> i think that's why house speaker uh kevin mccarthy a republican from california signaled on friday that during the farm bill debate uh the republicans in the house could go for further changes in the food stamp program well if that's the case then i'm not as upbeat on uh on the impact of the debt limit bill uh that i was initially before i heard you know, uh, before i uh i heard mccarthy because they're already uh late 
in the timelines to uh, to get a draft bill done in, in the farm bill. Uh, the the whispers in town is that we could get a draft farm bill in all before the August recess or no later than September when they come back. But that means there there's there's a a a, a tight time before uh, when Congress is in town, Chip, to even do a farm bill. So th those are your bottom lines. And there were other things in there. For agriculture, I think one of the more significant ones is that this uh, uh, this doesn't limit the ability of appropriators to do emergency funds for disaster aid. That almost guarantees you a disaster aid program by the end of this calendar year. And uh, so, you know, that's something uh, else to watch. <laughs> they, they've basically said, listen, uh, we <laughs> it, it's going to happen. So let's just plan for it right now. That's uh and the disaster aid is talking mostly about wheat producers, right? Wheat. Oh, there's always more. You've got some specialty crops. You've got the California lawmakers uh, wanting some funding. You're you're going to have more than a few groups and states come come in by the time the year's over. And we're not through the gut slot of uh, crop development, right? We don't know mm -hmm. whether you're going to have another derecho in what in Iowa or right. things like that. That's why they like to do. Uh, a disaster bill near the end of a Congress. And the other thing that's in this bill that I really applauded is it's it's it was a provision that basically told appropriators, get your work done. Uh, if a continuing resolution is in effect, which they usually have done the last few years, on or after January 1, 2024, then the discretionary spending limits for the next fiscal year, 2024, that begins October 1, that would be reduced to 1% less than fiscal 2023 base funding amounts. Well, lawmakers won't want that, and that includes defense spending. So this could be the year, Chip, we have all 12 appropriation bills done, even wow. though in a tight fit because as i said before there's not many days congress will be in town between now and the end of the year but hopefully appropriators will finally do their job finally yes yes okay you said something in where some of the clawbacks are in this debt ceiling 27 billion in unspent covid aid Yes. Does that mean that there was more money set aside and allocated for COVID aid than what the economy could absorb? Uh, or what they could get out in time. Both, Chip. Man. And, yeah. And, and they, they have inflation. an earmarked. Yeah. And they have an earmarked those. And that's what it was going to be even a higher amount. But apparently the White House said, well, some of this other they wanted, I think, around 50 billion. But uh, some of that was already spoken for in a specific uh request for individual states or whatever but yeah that tells you this was a, a pot of money and 27 billion even in washington is a lot of money yeah yep well you know it, it's i feel it's necessary to do this from time to time okay from time to time it is to make everybody understand just how big a trillion is so if i was going to start counting for every second i can get to one million in just under 12 days. One million. Okay? Yeah. 
I can get to one million in just under twelve days. Now, to get to one billion, it takes thirty-two years to get to one billion seconds. Thirty-two years. That means that it takes thirty-two thousand years to get to one trillion seconds. Thirty-two thousand. Jim, these numbers are so far off the chart, I don't even know if they matter. I don't yeah. know how we're ever going to uh, – the debt ceiling, what did they put it at, $42 trillion? Can't exceed well, that? Well, that's what they guesstimate. There's no dollar amount on this. They can't – the Treasury Department can't build up cash reserves, uh, but this is an open-ended, Chip, basis, uh, yeah, based on legislation between now and January 1, 2025. That, that's yeah. about the only known thing in this. So we don't yeah. know what that level is. And that's what got, got some people uh, upset. But what got uh, some Democrats uh, uh, not as unhappy with this was some of that uh, $10 billion for each for two fiscal years yeah. uh, out of the IRS funding that they could spend on other non-defense uh, spending program. But now more than a few Republicans didn't like the defense spending, but they were appeased, even though they still voted against it in, in you know, many of them, when also they said uh, this legislation will not impact the response to national security threats such as China. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how you got the votes the way they came uh, uh, about okay. it's not going to save as much money as the the republicans first thought the office management and budget says one and a half you know billion dollars and it probably won't even be that right. uh but it, it 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 there are some some good i think budget reform items that we've already talked about uh, giving the signals to the appropriators so, uh, uh, mm-hmm. holding overall spending flat for fiscal year 2024 and capping it at one percent increase in 2025 for for this Congress who likes to go on hyperdrive for spending that that's big news okay yeah. in and of itself so we yeah. got some budget reform in this so I feel Okay, Jack Lavers out in California, a rancher out there. He's on the uh, Farmer Forum on AgriTalk from time to time. He picked that as his biggest take takeaway from the debt ceiling process that we that that the GOP made progress in slowing down spending. Is is that the right take? I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. First, you got to slow it down because yeah. we're doing and because we're doing nothing about the debt <laughs> this was just yeah. the debt limit uh, so this is why the upcoming elections in 2024 is crossroads uh, that's what my speech kind of theme is now uh not taking a political side you're going to get a certain approach if the democrats uh, uh, control and you'll get a different approach if the republicans control in not just uh, the the amount of spending, but trade policy, uh, mm-hmm. tax policy, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's move on. OPEC Plus. What was the decision and what is going on with OPEC Plus? Well, 
they actually announced no changes to their planned oil production cuts this year, but Saudi Arabia declared an additional voluntary uh, one month one month cut of one million barrels per day starting in July. Now they can extend it, okay? Now the UAE was the only country who actually got a lower uh, an increase in their production levels. Uh, that's what I got out of it. And that's why you saw the market kind of uh, initially volatile, Chip. At first, mm-hmm. you had it going up. Like when this broke Sunday, you you had futures up, both Brent, the international, and, and the U.S. But then the more uh, details came out, I thought, well, this doesn't have staying power uh, on it. So I don't think it's a fundamental change yet. Okay. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about some trade deals because last week uh, the U.S. and Taiwan inked a trade deal. On the surface, I'm like, hey, a trade deal. That's all, that, that is spectacular. And then over the weekend, U.S. and China have a near miss in the straight, in, in the Taiwanese Strait. This is not oh. a comfortable situation for anybody. No, the the China watchers that Pro Farmer uh, deals with, they're they're all of them are telling us the Warhawks in China has Xi's ear, and they're just almost browbeating the U.S. that they really have to take the U.S. out of that Asian sector to get where they want to be in the next few years. Let's say 2027. That's their hundredth year anniversary. Now that's cause for a lot of concern. This is why some strategists are telling me uh, why the Biden administration really pressed the Taiwan trade agreement when they did, because they knew that would rankle uh, Xi. And so that was a tit for tat, Chip, as far as what I'm picking up for our China watchers. But let's just bottom line. We do not have detente with China, despite what Biden said the other day that he thought that it was a, the we had turned the corner and there was going to be improved relations. No, that's not the case. As you said, some incidents over the weekend, they continue not to, to talk and embarrass, if you will, our defense secretary. So, uh, this is not turning itself around as far as U.S.-China relationships. And it's got our Western allies nervous and a number of other countries because you you just need a more uh, stable relationship to, between the two world superpowers. Um, how, <laughs> boy, this is a high dollar question I'm asking you because if you've got the answer to this, you'll probably be off uh, consulting for somebody else after this what is next on this i what if if x happens you feel good if x happens your concern level grows well my concern level would grow if uh the biden administration gives china what they want and it's a reduction in the tariffs that's really what G wants. He wants the, they, 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 you know, they're telling them privately, we're going to, we'll open up in meetings with the defense secretary, with who, uh, state department uh, secretary, if you reduce the tariffs. Now, remember uh, what we talked about on AgriTalk Friday under section 301, 
the phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement is up for review. That means the sanctions uh, that we have on China are up for review. And China also has sanctions on our products. They haven't mm -hmm. reduced or taken them off. But th to me, that would be a sign of weakness on the part of the U.S. administration if they cut just to get appointments, you know, and that would be seen as a sign of weakness. I just think we're into this period of multi-years of holding your breath as far as hopefully an accident doesn't happen. I, yeah. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see improved relations uh, barring uh, uh, this country uh, reducing uh, sanctions and just, uh, uh, you know, going G's way. Okay. Well, for, on Monday afternoon on AgriTalk, had a conversation with Arlen Suderman from the Stone X Group, and he said something that kind of gave me chills, and you just used the word. He says, you know, the market also has to be concerned about an accidental war with China. Yeah. Oh. It, that's how other world wars have started. You know, you you get you don't predict it, but this is why you can't come. This is why the U.S. released the video to show how close uh, these planes came, and they're in international waters. Yeah, they're in international waters. China just wants us out of that Asia area so they can take over that part of the world. Literally, okay. that's that's what every China watcher is telling us. Okay. Um. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai seems to be getting more aggressive with Mexico or is getting more aggressive with Mexico regarding the uh, Mexico's ban on GMO yellow corn for human consumption. What's yeah, and you know, when we talked about this on AgriTalk Friday, this was before the announcement Friday, right. and we, we right. all agreed that you saw the signs coming that the Biden administration was finally going to announce a uh, uh, you know, request a dispute settlement consultation under the USMCA, and they did, and that was their most forceful move yet, And but this has gone on for, for what, a year, year on this one. So, and the U.S. Is, keeps saying that Mexico's biotechnology policies aren't scientifically based. But then Mexico's economy ministry, uh, ministry over the weekend, they, they, he defended the position and said, uh, look, uh, we produce more white corn for tortillas than we consume. Mm -hmm. uh, so while imported U.S. corn is used for livestock feed and industrial purposes, you know, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. for the uh, for the food corn, they take a different opinion and that they're at loggerheads on this one. I, I just see Mexico continuing to drag their feet because it's a political issue, domestic political issue in Mexico. And so I think Obrador doesn't he's president until uh, the summer of next year. And I, I see it lingering until then, Chip. Okay. Um, the, the, till next, the timeline on this, are you thinking that it could be finished up by this time next year? Oh, I know. I didn't say finished up. It's going oh, to okay. linger. Then we're going to have to see the new president coming in to Mexico and, and whether or not then what happens then, but that it'll be an opportunity for, uh, an agreement, probably. I think you'll get an agreement within the second half of 2024. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
And if everything is a science-based decision and if everything is based on what was agreed to in the USMCA, this will be a U.S. victory. Uh, Yes, even though it's taken long. Again, one of the hallmarks of the USMCA was a hoped for accelerated process of dispute settlements. We have not seen that yet. Look at Canada. We've not yet settled the dairy issues with Canada. So, again, it's just. uh, uh, Well, Jim, some of those things, you just hope they eventually go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They don't. Not in dairy. They don't. Nothing ever goes away in dairy policy. No, no, that's that's right. You know, we haven't spoken a whole lot about dairy policy in the farm bill, but they're going to be working on the new federal milk marketing order. We have had a conversation about it on AgriTalk, but we need to look into that a little bit more as we go on and well, learn when as much you, as we can about when it. You, my first day ever in the ag sector reporting was at Don't Ag Service, April Fool's Day, 1972, to be exact. I was told by one of my mentors, if I ever understood dairy policy, it was time to retire. I'm still working. Okay. When 50, you deal 50, with 51 years later, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen, let and me just working. tell you, when you deal with milk marketing orders, you talk about opening up a mine shaft. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it, if there's substantial reform in that one. On the other side, we have some of the best dairy policy now that I've ever seen in my entire career here. And I think that they can improve it by bringing in more producers, more of the mid-size, really, producers into the safety net program. And I think Mm -hmm. that they will. So dairy programs, I think, is the least of their worries. We have other farm bill concerns, and it's primarily the Title I safety net. And there's another reason this thing could drag out, Chip, because... I know you talked to Colin Peterson about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's going to cost so much money to get reference prices to where they should be, primarily yeah. because of corn and soybeans, the millions of acres grown. That I'm not, not saying they shouldn't have the increase, but uh, you just dwarf the $20 billion that it's going to take to make those reference prices more realistic. So now the argument behind the scenes is, well, you know, cotton and rice need an increase more than the other program commodities because of what looking at the last few years, their input costs relative to prices received. At least that's the argument you you get. Uh, But that issue is far from settled, but that is an issue. Okay. Okay. Um, it is pork week here at, uh, farm journal, Jim, and, uh, it's, it, co- it goes along with, uh, the world pork expo down in Des Moines. Uh, AgriTalk will be there on Wednesday and Thursday. I wrote down the booth. Uh, we will be at the farm journal booth V 785 stop by and, uh, say hello. And one of the, the biggest topics of conversation, at least among the state organizations and among the producers that will be there, is going to be California Prop 12. It's got to be. What's the latest there? Oh, definitely. And uh, this is what MPPC 
as a national group should should tell those people that they met NPPC officials met with California Department of Food and Ag Animal Care Program officials on May the 23rd, Chip, to work on securing a smooth transition for pork producers with minimal marketplace disruption. And now due to the that need, they asked uh, CDFA, that's a California group, to host three seminar webinars to provide more guidance. And that's exactly what happened. So I hope they 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 tell the the participants their background role in this on june the 6th they're going to have a webinar for end users that's uh, uh what uh, yeah, retailers restaurants and food processors june the 13th a webinar for distributors uh selling or distributing covered product to the end user in California, and then on the 27th, a webinar for actual pork producers uh, keeping or housing breeding pigs. Well, that's a step, more than a step in the right direction to to sound it out. So I applaud NPPC for doing that. I just hope they reveal that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Uh, I also hope that uh, the efforts to uh, initiate some sort of legislation whether it be through the farm bill or a, a standalone bill, there that there is some effort by Congress to override Prop 12. I keep hearing consensus for it. I don't know if I've seen any progress. It's going to be rough. When you look at the tally, Chip, uh, the California lawmakers, you know, it's got something controversial near the end of the year. It's going to be hard to get out of Congress. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but I don't think it's the slam dunk that some of the Aggies thought uh, it would be when we first started, uh, you know, you, you know, talking about this. Uh, I also want to talk about the good side of this. Uh, okay. Uh, that Harmel food CEO uh, 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 acknowledged uh that the company have invested major sums in transitioning their hog farms to comply with the Prop 12. So uh, he didn't reveal their cost involved in that, but he said they they should start recuperating some of those costs soon. Now that means he thinks products are going to start going in there. Uh, so they they're already Prop 12 compliant for part of their pork supply since January 2022, Chip. So I applaud them for that uh, because they they apparently saw the directions ahead that most people didn't see. Yeah. And their CEO, by the way, is Jim Snee. Okay. Yeah, I I still find it hard to believe that this is where we're at. That it it just uh, it stuns it still stuns me that consumers in California are determining how Iowa producers can farrow pigs. Yeah. Well, it's, it could lead to other uh, uh, other topics in the same way. Yeah, this and this is why I know uh, NPPC officials probably are shell shocked on this one. So they're they're probably still reeling about this uh, because I think it was a. Big shock to them. They didn't think this was going to turn out yeah. in the Supreme Court the way it did. Right. Okay. Yeah, it shouldn't have. Okay. Uh, give me the the latest on the Ukrainian 
counteroffensive. Is it really a counteroffensive? It is now. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is now. It's going big time as of as of today. <laughs> yeah, uh, that big time. So we're going to see. And and Ukraine's going into those big trenches that the Russians have have built. Uh, so now we're going to see the next few weeks. We're going to see if they can claw back some of those uh, uh, those areas that that uh, Russia hounded them with. Okay. All right, we're almost out of time here, Jim. Uh, what what else are you watching this week? What else is, has piqued your interest? Well, we have a farm bill hearing both in the House and the Senate, so that's continuing. Uh, I'll be in Naples, Florida later this week uh, to the Cotton Warehouse uh, meeting. Always look you know, forward to that. Uh, I think we have uh, uh, some world... Uh, some world uh, economic reports coming out this week, Chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, from the World Bank unveils their summer edition of the Global Economic Outlook tomorrow, Tuesday, and the OED, OECD releases their economic outlook Wednesday. They're important because it's going to set the tone for the world GDP, gross domestic product. And yeah. I think that they're going to be important because from an agriculture standpoint, you have to have the ability to buy. And that's going to go a long ways when we look country by country, what their forecasts are. Okay. Uh, from a market's perspective and what I'm watching this week, number one, live cattle, June live cattle set a new spot month all-time high on Monday's trade. Backed off from the highs, actually closed below the open. They're still higher on the day, but they gapped to a new high. This, it, it looked like a very organized, controlled move to the upside again in live cattle today. The cash market is still trading way above the futures market. Um, I We can see a long liquidation break in live cattle at any time. I mean, any time. But the I have fundamentals the pro- are still priced positive. Yes, I have the pro farmer people do me some bullet points for this for my upcoming speech. And and when they put on cattle, they said bullish. That's a bold prediction with cash market at all time high, what you just said, and futures near. And then they told me all time high and futures they see in the second half as supply side fundamentals tighten. Demand is the wild card. Yes, absolutely. Demand is because the supply side we know is tight and going to um, to get even tighter. The other thing that I'm watching is this hog market. We had a beautiful $10 rally in four days last week. Started this week off with some lower prices in the June, but hey, last week we did a lot with just four days. We'll see what we can do in this hog market as we go forward. It'd be cool to see the guys down at the Pork Expo in a good move yes. with, uh, with hog prices moving to the upside after what they've been after what they've been through. And then, of course, Jim, weather, 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 weather. Uh, the pop-up showers that we had in the Western Corn Belt late last week and over the weekend, I think, provided some relief in scattered, scattered relief, but it was needed relief. We're dry up here in northeast Iowa, Jim. I, I did a little bit of driving around over the weekend, and Corn is at a stage that normally doesn't show stress, and it's showing stress. The, you know, you've got plants that are, are 10 to 15, 16 inches high and starting to roll up. And, and so that is a dicey situation 
at this time of the year for that corn crop. We need some relief, We and we need it yesterday. Um, and so we're going to continue to watch this weather forecast. The, the forecasters are saying, listen, it looks like we've got a change in the pattern coming after this weekend, maybe June, maybe even over the weekend, June 10, June 11. So really important to watch that. Um, on Friday, we get the supply and demand report. We get the winter wheat production estimate, USDA's second survey-based estimate of winter wheat production. So a lot for the markets to absorb this week, Jeb. Yep, yep. Well, at least right. we'll have uh, fresh survey numbers for the wheat sector. That's right. All right, man. Okay. Hey, have safe travels. Okay. Thank All you. All right. That is Jim Wiesmeyer, Pro Farmer Policy Analyst. I am AgriTalk host Chip Flory. Come back and talk to us again next week. In the meantime, keep watching for those signals.